0: So this past week I had the blessing and opportunity to be on vacation with my family at the beach and part of that involved being able to read lots of books which was awesome. One of the books that I read was Where the Crawdads Sing. And it is a beautifully written book about the main character is a young girl that gets abandoned by her family and ends up growing up raising herself essentially in the marshes of the North Carolina coast. So as I'm reading about this main character who is living most of her life in isolation, she trusts very few people, she, is, she shares her life with very few people, it is incredibly lonely and exceedingly difficult for her, I was reminded that we were meant to be connected to one another. That no one, no one should have to go through life trying to figure out how to be in relationship with others alone. No one should go through life trying to figure out how uh, to navigate life's mysteries alone. That when we hear other people's stories, we begin to figure out how to make sense of our own confusing mess that is our own life. And so we were meant to learn from one another. We were meant to share with one another. We were meant to discover life in Christ with one another, that all of these are gifts that God gives us to be shared together with each other. So today we do start a new sermon series called Testimony of a Believer. And our hope is that... Over these next three weeks, we're going to get the chance to hear from a variety of different folks in our church family, from our church family. And Josie has gotten us started off so beautifully, so thank you for that. We'll hear from people of a variety of ages and from different places and stages in life. We will hear stories which I bet some of you will connect with and say, wow, that sounds a lot like my story. We hold these things in common. And then there will be other stories that we hear that will be so different from our own experience. And we can just sit back and once again marvel at how God uses such a variety of people in a variety of ways and weaves that together in order to tell God's epic love story of redemption for each and every one of us. So to help get us started with that, we're going to first hear a testimony from scripture. We're going to hear the story two pieces of it at least, of one of Jesus' disciples, Andrew. And so I invite you to hear these two little vignettes that are shared with us from the gospel of John. First from John 1, verses 35 through 42. The next day John was standing, this is John the Baptist, John was standing again with two of his disciples When he saw Jesus walking along, he said, look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard what he said, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he asked, what are you looking for? They said, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, where are you staying? He replied, come and see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two disciples who heard what John said and followed Jesus was Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. He led him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. And then a couple of verses later in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 20 through 22. Some Greeks were among those who had come up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethesda in Galilee, and made a request Sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip told Jesus. This is the word of God for all God's people. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. May your word for each of us today, Lord, be heard in the shared stories of your faithful servants this morning. Amen. So the Greek Orthodox Church calls the disciple Andrew the first called, the first called, because he was one of Jesus' first disciples, according to the Gospel of John. Originally a disciple of John the Baptist, he does exactly what John needs him to do, to begin to follow the one who has come after John, who will teach even greater things and fulfill Scripture in even mightier ways than John has. Curious, Andrew goes to Jesus to see if he is everything that John has made him out to be. And Jesus sees Andrew and his friend and point blank says to them, What are you looking for? They want to know who Jesus is and what he is all about. So Jesus takes advantage of their curiosity and ultimately Andrew receives the following simple but powerful invitation from Jesus. Come and see." And somehow between 4 o'clock in the afternoon and the next morning, Andrew had heard enough to move from calling Jesus rabbi or teacher to calling him Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. Andrew sees in Jesus enough to recognize that he is the one worth following, that he is the one worth investing in that Jesus is worth learning from and devoting one's life to, so much so that he goes and he seeks his brother to come and see as well. His brother was Simon Peter, who would become the leader of the motley crew of of Jesus' disciples and later um, the leader of the early church. Some people called Andrew affectionately Andrew the bringer, partly because he brought people to Jesus. His brother, first of all, but later on he brought these curious Greeks to come and talk personally with Jesus in order for them to come and see for themselves, continuing to spread the good news of Jesus beyond the realm of just Jewish followers. He also played an important role at the feeding of the 5,000 by bringing the little boy who had the loaves and fishes that Jesus eventually used to feed the crowds. Sorry. Andrew went on to preach in and around Jerusalem, and it was famously established as um, bringing Christianity into ancient Constantinople, which is modern-day Istanbul, Turkey. Tradition has it that he was crucified on a cross in the shape of an X because he believed he was not worthy of dying in the same manner as Jesus did. Andrew is a beautiful example of someone who used his life to connect others to a relationship with Jesus. He wasn't showy. He was invitational. He shared with others a curiosity and a belief that what Jesus did and said mattered. Why? Because something was happening in his life that was worth pointing others to in hopes that Jesus might make as significant of an impact on their lives as Jesus had made on his. So today I want to invite us to continue to hear From one of our own about their life and why they have been a faithful follower of Jesus and about the impact Jesus has had on his life. And so I want to invite Ken Connolly to come and share just a little bit of his story this morning.
1: Thank you, Lori Beth. Good morning, church. I had the privilege this year of mentoring a conferman. And uh, one of the questions that I love to ask is tell of a time in your life that brought you the greatest joy. It didn't take Landon very long to come up and describe his. He got to play in the final minutes of a highly contested basketball game. And in the last seconds, the ball was passed right to him. And so he was able to make the shot just as the buzzer sounded. He called it his buzzer-beater moment. And I could feel his enthusiasm when he told me the story. I, I could imagine the joy that he felt uh, looking at his parents and his coach and his teammates and, and hearing the uh, applause and the accolades from the crowd. He was surrounded with shouts of approval and, and victory. I have found this kind of joy in my walk With Jesus Christ. I have heard God's blessing in my innermost being. I have heard God call me and I have heard God say, Well done. God satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry with good things. I found myself looking back on my life with regrets thinking I was a loser and a fool and wishing for a redo. I'm a broken man. But God got hold of me, and he proved that he could turn it all into good. I followed Jesus when I felt like I had nowhere else to go. He has turned my greatest weakness into tremendous strength. He is straightening out my mess and adding no sorrow with it. Jesus sets captives free. Through my relationship with Jesus, I found the way to the living God. And he just loves it when I introduce others to him. Why do I bring people to Christ? Because I love him so much. How do I bring people to Christ? You know, sometimes it's unintentional. Uh, it's just a, a byproduct of my daily struggle with my own brokenness, with my own flesh. I, I never understood this until I was in the prison one day and uh, talking with a small group of men in an accountability group. And uh, one of the guys voiced his frustration with himself. He said, uh, he said, Guys, I need you to pray for me. He said, uh, I'm trying to live the Christian life, but it's really hard in here. And uh, right away, on the other side of the group, one of the men said, Man, I can't believe you're saying that. He said, I was in the, the line the other day in the canteen where, when we were waiting to buy stuff from the canteen. He said, and, and I heard you talking to somebody. He said, you were talking low. They were uh, uh, wanting you to do something, and, and you looked at him and said, man, I cannot do that anymore. I am trying to live my life as a Christian. And so this guy called him out right then and there and said, man, your light is shining. You are showing the effect of faith in your life. For the most part, you know, sometimes it's unintentional that we bring people to Christ through our lives. But for the most part, for me, it's intentional. Jesus said that whoever loves him and keeps his commandments will be loved by the Father. And and Jesus will love him too and will manifest, will show himself to them. I started going to visit Jesus in prisons about ten years ago when I realize that that's something that he loves. He keeps encouraging me to go there. I'm learning to love the prisoners just as he loves me. I bring them to Christ when I intentionally encourage them to seek and follow him, and when I pray for them and when I pray with them. I do the same in the local jail almost every week whenever uh, Kevin or Luke can go with me. Uh, And I do the same in Sunday school with our Sunday school group and in choir and in small groups. Wesley called it staying in love with God. But I like to call it staying under the spout where God's glory comes out. Fred Fonville and I, calling you out, Fred, We're helping a, uh, a young widow with a big move this past week. With her guidance and her children's help, we had loaded up our trucks and trailer, and, and we were starting to get in the cars for the long drive. And after she had given us the final instructions, Fred stood, uh, stepped up and led us all to Jesus. He said, can we pray right now before we leave? And Fred led us into prayer, right into his presence. We have found him, the one that Moses and the prophets wrote about. The king of glory is alive. Come and see.
0: What an important and amazing reminder of God's continuing work through the Holy Spirit, through each one of you, especially through Ken. In his sharing, and apparently Fred as well. That was a two for two for one. <clears throat> God's ongoing work in our world is like watching dominoes falling. Rich Stearns, the president of World Vision, calls it the domino theory of spiritual impact. And so we've just heard several different examples of how that domino theory even has spanned out from Ken's own life because of what Jesus has done and meant to him in his own life. Sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly. But in this domino theory of spiritual impact, imagine this long line of dominoes. And when one falls, it starts a chain reaction that can cause dozens or hundreds of, or thousands more dominoes to fall. So for instance, Jesus set up 12 dominoes, his disciples. He mentored them, he empowered them with the Holy Spirit, and he sent them off to go and do likewise. And now there are over 2 billion followers of Christ in the world. That's a lot of dominoes. So Stern goes on to provide this story as an example of the spiritual impact that one person can have. In the 1880s, Robert Wilder was a missionary kid from India. He was preparing to return to the mission field as an adult. During college, he even signed a pledge along with friends to become a missionary, but his health was failing him. He was physically unable to handle the missionary's life. So he never was able to fulfill that pledge, but instead he encouraged others to take up the task. One domino fell. During a preaching tour that took Robert through Chicago, he spoke to an audience that included a man named Samuel Moffat. Samuel also signed Robert's pledge, and within two years he landed in Korea. Another domino fell. During a preaching tour that took Robert through Chicago... I'm sorry. A few years later, Samuel is in Korea. He shared the gospel with a man who had become disillusioned with his Taoist practice. Kil Soon-Chu then began to trust in Christ, and quickly another domino fell. Well, in 1907, Kill was one of the leaders of the Pyongyang revival. And in January of that year... Spontaneous prayer and confession broke out during regular church meetings. Thousands of dominoes fell. Those days of fervent prayer became the birth of the independent, self-sustaining Korean church. When Kiel died in 1935, 5,000 people attended his funeral. The church in Korea now numbers more than 15 million And it sends more foreign missionaries than any other country outside of the United States. Millions of dominoes continue to fall. The domino theory of spiritual impact. Stearns concludes, as Christians we're called to be these dominoes in this chain reaction that were set off by Jesus 2,000 years ago. The amazing thing about the dominoes falling is that the chain reaction always starts small, with just one seemingly insignificant domino. So whether you are sponsoring children, he says, filling backpacks for children in the schools, talking to your own children, or praying earnestly for people around the globe, you have no idea what and how big an impact That will be as God multiplies your faithfulness. You see, you and I are dominoes in a long line of disciple dominoes whose job is once we have fallen for Jesus to help someone else fall for Jesus. And if that feels intimidating, remember Andrew. A Presbyterian preacher, Donald Gray Barnhouse, said this about Andrew. Even before the Lord Jesus told his disciples that he would make them fishers of men, Andrew witnessed to his brother and landed the big fisherman, Simon Peter. Many who think that they can be used in far fields have never begun where the Lord Jesus meant them to begin, right at home. An important reminder that most of us are not called to start some big and far away glitzy new ministry of high impact. No, for most of us, God simply wants us to look within our own sphere of influence and be faithful storytellers right here, but to do so in a way that invites others to come and see for themselves. And this is what I love about Andrew. His desire is not to have a derivative faith life that depends on someone else's story. But instead, he went to see for himself. And he brought other disciples to Jesus so they could develop a personal relationship with Jesus and see for themselves. And the result is a rich eternal, life-giving experience of their own. God can ask for no more. And I think that is the question for our own reflection today. How can we ourselves not live a derivative life based on someone else's experience, but instead seek out real and personal faith experiences with Jesus ourselves? And then, how can we empower others to come and see for themselves? Jesus asked, What is it you are looking for? Consider, consider Andrew's invitation come and check out Jesus yourself so that you can see that anything significant or meaningful that we might be searching for, we can find in Jesus. Come. And see, Jesus is not just a teacher. He is the Messiah. Our Messiah, our Christ, our Savior. And all of God's children said, Amen.